The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 11 College Football Betting Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Let's hope we have some games this weekend. We still have some left to get to. Only nine canceled so far. You ready to go? Listen, you know COVID's taking a toll on college football when Arkansas has almost ascended to the top of the list of must-watch games for the week, right? It's been like a little over a decade since I was in college. But uh, I'd have to imagine Halloween parties played a little role in on SEC campuses on some of these outbreaks. Just a guess. I, it's interesting is I think we need to start a segment, I don't give a shit factor, right? We had all these Halloween parties. The COVID breakouts really hit college football hard. But what happens when these kids go home for Thanksgiving? Remember, the season's going to go on. The regular season's going to go through December 12th, and then apparently everybody from, like, the Big Ten, if you're a six seed, you're going to play a six seed on the weekend of December 19th. So, and, and if you're Penn State and you're hanging out at 0-3, like, what's your give-a-shit factor? I think it's something we're going to have to keep tracking. College football is getting weird. Well, we have the football to get to. We still have a huge card. Think about when we first started, week one, yeah. week two. We only had, you know, 20, 30 games. So we still have plenty to get to. Plenty of winners to find across the board. Last week, we hit our Moneyline Underdog Parlay, um, which was nice. We'll get to that later. We'll get to some Friday Night Lights. We'll cover a lot of games here today. There are a couple marquee games that we're going to get to. But before we get to those, let's start out with a few situational spots that are really jumping out. Let's get to a little look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right, so for those not familiar, for new listeners, we do look at situational angles, and you know, ultimately it comes down to our number, and I will adjust my number for certain situational spots. If a team is coming off of a big game or they have a big game on deck, maybe they're not as focused. Maybe they come out flat. Maybe they pull their starters a little early. Can play a role, especially with college kids, especially in college basketball. Can't wait to start talking college basketball with us soon. So we have a couple that are huge this weekend. The first of which will start with Indiana, the number 10 ranked Indiana Hoosiers, the 3-0 and undefeated number 10 ranked. Sounds odd to say in college football. Our at BetMGM right now are seven and a half plus 100. There's seven, seven and a half out there at Michigan State over under 51 and a half. Indiana's obviously coming off that 
huge Michigan win just in dominant fashion. And look, Michigan's down, but that's still a big win for that program. And they have Ohio State on deck. Imagine if Indiana wins this game and beats Ohio State. I mean, all of a sudden, they're a favorite to go to the college football playoff. Obviously, they'll be a big underdog against Ohio State. But these are some of the things that the Indiana kids might be starting to think about. So they head to East Lansing to play Michigan State. Michigan State coming off just an absolute waxing against Iowa. I mean, they got hammered 49-7. to it was, it was 35 nothing at the half. The result was never in doubt. The week before, Michigan State beat Michigan. Maybe they had a little bit of a letdown. Is over three touchdown underdogs. Week one, Michigan State lost to Rutgers, but they had seven turnovers. So it's kind of a tough team to figure out here. Indiana, look, I was on them against Penn State. They got kind of lucky. They Some of their metrics this year disappointed. They've been running lucky in the turnover department all year long. Tough team for me to kind of power rate judging by who I thought they were and then some of their wearing metrics and kind of how lucky they've been. And then Michigan State, very odd results too. I ended up making the six and a half. I know others that made it nine, nine and a half. But with the spot, just there's a huge chance that Indiana comes out really flat here. I took some seven and a half with Sparty. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe they get hammered again like they did against Iowa last week. What do you see here? Well, the number's low, and like you said, it's a reflection of the spot. Um, you know, Indiana's – they just got a ton of steam around the program now. They're, you know, taking it to a road show, and they got an awfully big showdown coming up next week. So it's definitely the spot that you're supposed to take Michigan State, but, you know, do you trust them with your money? The biggest question here is if there's going to be regression in the finishing drives rank of sixth on offense for Indiana. In 16 red zone trips, they've had 16 scores, 12 as a TD. Uh, Michigan State, not so good in defensive finishing drives on defense. Uh, Michigan State's allowed 13 scores and 15 opponent red zone attempts. 12 of those were touchdowns. So, you know, it, I think everybody gets watches that Michigan game and they kind of fall in love with what they saw with Sparty, and maybe we don't see that team again because turnovers are the biggest issue for them. No turnovers against Michigan. They win as a three TD dog. Not, minus seven net turnovers to Iowa and Rutgers and ugly losses. Uh, Indiana's 23rd in Havoc, but that's really 20 pass breakups and seven interceptions. It's nothing to do with forced fumbles. They've only had one forced fumble on the season. Tough to predict if Rocky Lombardi is going to throw INTs. I think Indiana is the play at seven, and if it dips down to your power rating at six and a half, I I definitely think it's worth a play. Uh, I think the under is worth a look. It's something that I uh, have projected around 49-ish. But, yeah, I mean, the spot screams Michigan State, but, I mean, just – Indiana is forcing turnovers through PBUs and INTs, and if that's going to happen against Lombardi, then uh, Indiana's going to cover this number. If there ever was a turnover regression game, though, it is this one. I mean, Michigan State is averaging negative 2.33 turnover margin per game. That's 121st in the nation out of 123 teams. Uh, Just ahead of Akron and UCLA, who's only played one game. And Indiana is averaging plus two per game that I believe is second yeah, it's, uh, it's tied for third in the nation just below Colorado who's only played one game and Wake Forest who we're fading uh, I'll get to that later we probably disagree I mean I might be waiting the spot too much and it was a tough game for me to line but I'm on some Sparty plus seven and a half I wouldn't I'd be a little more hesitant at seven definitely would not take it at six and a half but that touchdown is obviously key All right, moving on to another – well, it's kind of a combo spot here we'll do. 
we got to talk some chants. I hope uh, our chant friend calls in on the voicemail this week. Roll fucking chants, baby. I'm the new chant caller, okay? Next week, Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State will face off essentially for the division uh, in the Sun Belt. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. And before that, each team has to take on an inferior opponent this week. Maybe they get caught looking ahead a little bit. Coastal Carolina goes to a get to, to Troy. Again, that feels just very trappy. Uh, but Coastal Carolina has just shown up and blown out teams in this spot. But Coastal Carolina is laying 10.5 at BetMGM. You can find some 11 and 11 and a halfs out there. Obviously, shop around if you like Troy, which I'm thinking about pulling the trigger on. Maybe you'll convince me to go one way or the other. And then Appalachian State hosts Georgia State. They're laying 16, over under 62 and a half. Any interest in fading either of these uh, two Sunbelt favorites? Um, or are you back in either or are you staying away? What are your thoughts? Well, I'll start off with Coastal and Troy because it is the spot to try to go against Coastal considering the biggest game maybe of their Sunbelt life uh, is lining up for next week. Uh, it's tough to say this is a look-ahead line, though, because of their performance against South Alabama. They won 23-6, to which Jamie Chadwell came out in a press conference, I think, on Monday and said this was an ugly win, not the performance that he wanted whatsoever. Coastal Carolina, what a stat this is. Coastal Carolina is not allowed a touchdown in 10 quarters. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, the biggest issue with the chance defense is that they're 84th in tackling and they're a hundredth in opponent explosive rush. That isn't something that Troy can expose. That's the problem with this game in the spot. It, you would think you'd want to take Troy, but they don't have the tools where the chance are the weakness or weakest. Uh, Coastal's eighth in adjusted sack rate. They're 38th in PFF coverage grading. Uh, they have a top 20 rank in opponent passing success rate. Uh, and that's going to keep Troy's up-tempo offense off the field. There's no word yet on whether quarterback uh, Gunnar Watson is going to play if he's available here. At least I haven't seen it at this time of recording. Uh, if he's available, uh, then the number in double digits is worth a play because this is something that even I power rate, you know, lower. So, you know, Troy's defensive strength is pass coverage. Uh, we've played them in the past because of their pass coverage. They're able to stop people through the air. You know, the Trojans are fifth coverage and grading. They're 31st in opponent pass EPA. They're not going to get beat deep. Coastal is 120th in pace. Now, that 120th pace is important because Troy may not have it to beat them, but this number is completely inflated. If Coastal's going to run a slow pace in a week before their Super Bowl, uh, I think more steam on Troy gives them the value, and I think there's even more on the under. I don't expect a lot of points out of Troy, and I expect them to be able to interrupt what Coastal wants to do through the air. You think of App State, Georgia State? Yeah, you know, App State, Georgia State is, you know, I feel like I got away with taking App State last week and Texas State and taking them you know, to cover that 17 number, and they did. But Georgia State's defense, they have their hands full in this one with the App State rush offense uh, that's 17th in success rate, 12th in line yards. Uh, by the numbers, Georgia State can, you know, their, their defense in this one should be able to hang around. They're 25th in opponent rush success rate. They're 6th in power success, 4th in stuff rate. What I'm trying to say is both these defensive trenches are able to stop the opposing team's offensive rush uh, a little bit, you know, Georgia State may bend a little bit. The problem is, is that Georgia State can't cover the pass whatsoever. Let's look at some results. Georgia State's games la lately, the last three, Panthers gave up these passing yards, 339 to La Monroe, 307 to Troy, 
551 to Arc State. Zach Thomas passing attack is 20th in explosiveness. That is a real problem if you think you want to lay money on Georgia State. I'm not sure I could buy Georgia State at an inflated number. I mean, if you are buying them, you're assuming the defense stops the rush on first and second down, gets App State into passing downs, and, and you know, still, even then, App State's 33rd in passing down success rate, and they're 20th in explosiveness on passing downs. I, I will say this. If you don't partake in this game, I think App State is the side. I don't think Georgia State can do anything to stop them, especially in the air. Let me say this for next week. Everything App State does, especially on the ground, is going to be a problem for Coastal. The Coastal love. The Sharps love them. The Squares love them. Grandmothers love them. Everybody loves the chance. But when they face App State, they do not have the rush defense to hang around. The Triple C Dynasty. Coastal Carolina (laughs) chance. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to a huge potential letdown. And Notre Dame fighting Irish, who came through in the underdog money line parlay last week. After that huge win against Clemson, Notre Dame heads to Boston College. They are 13 and a half point favorites at BetMGM over under 49 and a half. I can tell you right now, right off the bat, I saw BC pop at plus 14, minus 110 early in the week, and I grabbed it. I didn't think it would last long. I love the spot. I think Notre Dame is going to come out really flat. A really interesting matchup with Phil. Yurkovich, Yurkovich, I still call him Yurkovich, but he's a Notre Dame transfer. I remember tweeting about him in the summer, and some Boston College fan answered me. I said, "Is Yurkovich going to play?" I said, "BC's a different team if he can play at quarterback compared to not." And he's played, and he's played very well. I think he leads the ACC in passing. And look, if you look back last week at that Notre Dame Clemson game, and Book played well. We had point two. EPA per play, 38% success rate. You know, he played well, especially down the stretch. If you look at DJ Ugalele, EPA per play, 0.44. Success rate, 52%. The problem is, you know, what do you average, nine yards per play? The problem is his average depth of target was 6.9 yards. And Clemson just kept trying to run the ball into Notre Dame, uh, a, a jam Notre Dame box. Travis Etienne, EPA per play, negative 0.57, Travis Etienne, and they just didn't let him throw. If Trevor Lawrence plays that game, I think Clemson wins because he's probably throwing the ball downfield much more. That's where I think BC could potentially get Notre Dame. Look, the Notre Dame defense is great. BC's put up some points on the Clemson defense in the first half. I think they could put up some, enough points here, potentially catch Notre Dame flat out of the gates. It's just such a letdown spot for Notre Dame. Um, so I took the 14, and uh, I'm curious to see if you agree or disagree. Well, flat out of the gates being the key term there, this is the reason why I haven't played Notre Dame yet, because I want Notre Dame minus 13 in this game. Um, uh, if I can get something lower than that, I'm, I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to guess that they are going to be a little bit flat after a humongous victory. Uh, let's, let's pivot to story time here. So in 2018, offensive coordinator Chip Long for Notre Dame was the Broyles Award runner-up, which awards the best coordinator in the country. Uh, Twelve months later, he's being chased out of South Bend to let a baby-faced Tommy Rees call the plays in a bowl game. Tommy Rees did well, kept his job, but Chip Long moved on. You know, reading between the lines and things that Yurkovic doesn't want to talk about and Chip Long doesn't like to reference either, the entire struggle was Brian Kelly and Chip Long in a complete disagreement about Ian Book and Phil Yurkovic. Chip Long lobbied for Yurkovic to be the starter, for him to get more playing time, thought that he was ready to go. Brian Kelly didn't think he was ever ready to lead the offense, 
didn't want Ian Book to ever lose a single snap. Brian Kelly never saw the development that he needed, essentially cemented Ian Book's job. Yurkovic soon moved on, transferred, Chip Long, out of the, you know, out of Notre Dame before they played their bowl game last year. Yurkovic moves on to BC and everybody's mum about it. So what does that mean for this game, right? Because Chip Long's out of the picture. I'd bet the house that Brian Kelly went to defensive coordinator Clark Lee and said, do everything you can to shut down this BC offense because I can't be made to look stupid. If it looks like Yurkovic leaves and then he torches me, that'll be the worst. That's all that I'll hear about for the entire year, no matter what we do. We make the college football playoff. Well, we won't make the college football playoff, but if Phil Yurkovic, you know, torches me after I essentially blocked him from ever playing, it's going to look bad on Brian Kelly. So you get a max effort here out of Notre Dame's defense. Now, does that mean it could be a 12-7 game like it was with Louisville? Could be. BC has been pretty fortunate the last three games. They're plus six in net turnovers. They certainly played a factor in their three-point win over Syracuse. And they kept it close with Clemson two weeks Ugly ago. Ugly win. Ugly, yeah. Kept it close with Clemson two weeks ago because of some turnovers. BC isn't going to get anywhere on the ground with the Notre Dame defense. It's second in line yards, first in stuff rate. And Yurkovic faces a Notre Dame secondary that's 11th in PFF in coverage grading and 18th in opponent pass, passing success rate. Could there be a, what we, what we call here, a shutout, a pitcher and a shutout in baseball? Could be for the Notre Dame defense here. Uh, I would certainly bet a small prop on it. On the flip side, BC can't stop the Notre Dame rush, not whatsoever. And, you know, the Eagles are 96 in tackling. They're 89th in opponent rushing success rate. The real question is, is does Tommy Rees abandon the playbook that was used for Clemson and go back to the like 67% rush rate, which was all just a gimmick to not give anything on tape to Clemson. Uh, is Ian Book going to be allowed to throw the ball or are we going back to straight rushes? This isn't 1993, in my opinion. BC would need turnovers, busted plays, and a sleepy Notre Dame offense to cover this number. So the decision is on me now. Do I want to buy into a number that should be higher than 13 on Notre Dame? Or do I want to wait to see if they're sleepy and possibly get something in the single digits? That's a decision I'll make between now and kick. Weird things can happen in Chestnut Hill, which is what I'll be hoping for. Um, but you do make some valid points. I mean, I just grabbed the 14, didn't think it would last. And uh, oh, yeah. I love this. I love the spot. And uh, we shall see how it plays out. Any interest in the under there by any chance? Yeah, I think Tommy Reese is going to come out and go max rush offense. I'm sure Brian Kelly has made it very clear this quarterback is to not beat me. Yeah, I think it's an under game all the way, uh, especially if Tommy Reese comes out and he's running on third and nine. Yeah, I mean, this thing is going way under. Good stuff there on some of the major situational spots of the weekend. But it's time now to move on to our semi-marquee games of the week. <laughs> it's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 11. We've had, a, we've had Alabama, LSU canceled. We had a couple other ranked teams. Ohio State of Maryland was going to be interesting. I, I mean, I, maybe Ohio State wins by 40, but just Maryland gets blown out by Northwest in the first game, and then they come back and they beat Minnesota and they beat Penn State. Maryland fans were getting excited for that game. So we had a lot of games that canceled, but we have what – what we, what we have. So one of the marquee games of the weekend, to me at least, uh, and I wrote this game up, is uh, in your backyard. SMU at Tulsa, at BetMGM right now. Tulsa is a two-and-a-half point favorite over under 64-and-a-half. This game is 
could basically determine who goes to the American Championship to face Cincy. There's no divisions now since UConn left. UConn is still UConn is the new UMass. UMass is still the new UConn. Would Akron maybe Bowling Green, whatever. But right now, Tulsa is unbeaten in league play. They beat UCF, and SMU is the only team that has one loss. And obviously Cincinnati, and I came to Cincinnati, who's undefeated. So the winner of this game is in the driver's seat to get to the championship game to play Cincinnati. Tulsa's a two-and-a-half-point favorite here. Really intriguing game. All right, so when I looked at this game, you know, the first thing you look at, SMU, obviously, Shane Bouchelle back at quarterback. They lost Roberson. They lost their wide receiver for the year. They lost their starting running back for the year, but their running game has been fine with Bentley. They're a fast-paced air raid offense. Their defense is meh. They get a lot of pressure. They'll get sacks but their secondary can be really exploited. On the other side, the Tulsa offense, not really efficient with another transfer from a Power 5 school in Texas and Jack Smith from Baylor. But they can hit some big plays through the air with Stokes and company. They can't really run the ball. They also lost their starting running back for the year. So I'm trying to look at SMU, and I'm trying to say to myself, all right, is SM, who is this SMU team? Because their passing numbers, you know, just on their system with Sonny Dykes, their passing offense is probably – usually going to be really good if they have a good quarterback, which Bouchelle is, and they just fi- find receivers on trees. But I do think that losing Roberson, losing Prochet is going to have a big impact when they play better defenses, which Tulsa is. I think it's a top 30 defense. And if you look at some of these SMU numbers, let's take a look at their wins. North Texas, outside the top 100 in passing efficiency defense. Texas State, like 90th. Memphis, outside the top 100. Tulane, like 98th, Navy, like 82nd, Temple, 113th, Stephen F. Austin, FCS. Those are their seven wins. Their only loss came against Cincy, who's obviously elite, and they scored 13 points and got blown out. So I think some of their numbers are are inflated on the offensive side of the ball. Tulsa, they run a 3-3-5, which is built to stop these types of offenses. They switched to 3-3-5 in 2018. Look, they held UCF to 26 points. In the last 45 UCF games since the beginning of 2017, UCF hasn't gotten to 30 twice. Last year against Cincy, elite pass D, and this year against Tulsa. Tulsa also, you know, held Oklahoma State, another explosive offense, to only 16 points. They did have an eh, effort against ECU, who can explode for points just randomly. They did it against Cincy last year. So, but I think this Tulsa defense is really good. They're led by... Uh, Jackson player up front in their three-man front. They don't get any pressure. They're not going to get any sacks, but they stuff. They'll, they'll eat blocks. They'll stuff runs. They're, they're third of the nation in tackles for loss. And they open up lanes for their linebackers, which is where they're really elite, to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. You have Zayvon Collins, who's one of the best linebackers in the country. He'll play at the next level. He's top 20 in a lot of pressure rates, and he's just going to make plays all over the field. And when you pressure Bouchelle, that is how you get to him. That's when he makes mistakes. He gets a little jittery. Under pressure this year, he's 74th out of 93 quarterbacks, minimum 100 dropbacks, with a 37 quarterback rating. One touchdown, three picks, 38% completion percentage. So I think, look, Tulsa's going to be able to shut down the SMU run. And I think, look, it's the SMU offense. They're going to be able to move the ball some. They're going to move the ball up and down the field. But Tulsa gives up nothing explosive with their five D-backs. They're really good in the red zone, and that's where SMU's spread attack can struggle. So I think finishing drives, SMU's going to struggle. I think their pressure and Collins is going to force Bouchelle into a couple mistakes, 
And then the other side of the ball, this explosive Tulsa, it's not going to be a great efficient Tulsa offense, but they're going to hit some explosive pass plays against a, a secondary of SMU that's really vulnerable. So I think finishing drives, turnovers, it's going to work in Tulsa's favor. Situationally, Tulsa coming off of a bye, second straight road game for SMU. Tulsa, enormous revenge. They're going to be fired up for this one. Last year, they lost in three overtimes at SMU. And again, they should have won 50 times. They missed all kinds of kicks to win it. They were up 21 in the fourth quarter. And think about that. They lost 43-37 in three overtimes, up 21 in the fourth quarter. They shut down this SMU offense through three and a half quarters. It's what this defense can do. So I like Tulsa here. Uh, anything under three, I think uh, in your backyard, the Golden Hurricane, great name, great mascot name, by the way, who were going to be the Golden Tornadoes, but then they f- found out that Georgia Tech took the nickname back in like the 1910s. Anyway, uh, I like Tulsa. You disagree? I may have to go to this game live. It's a couple miles down the, the road from the house here, and, uh, you know, they serve beer. At least last time I was in Skelly, they served beer. So uh, the problem is Arkansas, Florida plays at the same time, so I'd have to bring all my streaming devices. Uh, I I completely disagree with you, and I can see your points and all your angles, and I see all the stats, and there was something just eating at me and bugging me about this game, and I had to, I had to do a deep dive on some stuff to figure out what it was that was bothering me. So – SMU is a team I jumped off of after losing Reggie Roberson and TJ McDaniel. You know, I thought that they would struggle against Cincinnati. They did. Uh, but then something happened. Something clicked. Uh, since then, 51 points on 555 yards against Navy, 47 points, 549 yards against Temple. Those defenses. Against who, against who again? Yeah, Temple and Navy. I mean, those aren't Tulsa defenses. But what the hell happened with Tulsa against Eastern Carolina? Eastern, we know Eastern Carolina can have those explosions. They did against I, Cincy. I, I'm just saying, East Carolina had 330 passing yards and made that game interesting, and it shouldn't have been interesting. It shouldn't have been close. And the thing was is I tried to blame it on Zayvon Collins, but he actually was not out that much in the game. I don't know how hurt he was. And I, I'm just saying, for East Carolina to put up that many yards and the score, the final score what it was, and it was a legit score and a legit box. It wasn't a fraud. I kind of made me step back a little bit and say, okay, well, what is Tulsa's big problem? Where did East Carolina give Tulsa so many issues? So I went and did a deep dive on the box. East Carolina was successful, not in passing downs, never in passing downs. And what I mean by that is anything bigger than first and 10, anything longer than second and seven, anything longer than third and four. That's a passing down. That isn't where ECU struck. ECU was 58% success rate in passing plays and 57% success rate in standard downs and they were throwing in standard downs. The Holt Naylor's pass on first and second down was absolutely deadly. So I went and did a deep dive on Tulsa's season long numbers. I said, well, is this a real problem? Turns out Tulsa in standard downs. Now remember what a standard down is, right? First and 10, second and seven, third and four. Tulsa in standard downs is 14th in success rate. They're doing a really good job of keeping teams from getting the yards they need. They're 101st in opponent explosiveness and standard downs. And that is where ECU bit them. ECU bit them hard because they passed in standard downs and put up 330 yards and almost won the game. Went and looked at SMU's numbers. SMU, 36th in standard downs explosiveness. And they like to pass in first and second down. They have a formula that ECU used to give Tulsa trouble, and they do it better than ECU. 
uh, I took SMU plus three. I would still take it at plus two and a half. Uh, I, I think if anybody's smart enough with the SMU, with the ponies and the analytics department and figures out that you need to pass on first and second down, no matter what the distance is, even if it's short, you'll find out you'll have explosive plays because, you know, I, I just, that was the key. That was the element how East Carolina almost won that game. I mean, but you have to – I mean, East Carolina can be an explosive offense. They've – Tulsa's only played – by the way, Tulsa's only played four games. SMU's played eight. <laughs> Tulsa – like, two of their four games, two of Tulsa's four games came against teams ranked number 11 with pretty good players on offense. And UCF – UCF's putting up, what, 60 points a game now? And Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State had its backup quarterback, but they still have really good players on that team. And it was – you know, it was – team ranked number 11 at the time. I know the Oklahoma State offense has been disappointing compared to expectations, but you know, they still have played East Carolina. You know, they haven't had a joke schedule. Like three, two of their four games came against ranked teams, and East Carolina has these explosions. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Because I, I don't necessarily disagree with your angles, but uh, I trust mine more, and that's why this is not an, uh, an exact science, which makes this fun. Tulsa's defense should not be getting lit up like that. That's what made me do all this gumshoe investigative reporting because I, I was like, how is this happening? So we'll see. If SMU isn't passing on first and second down, then I probably lose this bet. Yeah, I mean, I, the ECU game to me was concerning, but I, I like, I trusted the Oklahoma like what I saw against Oklahoma State and against UCF, and mm-hmm. you know, I, last year when randomly. ECU should have beat Cincy. They lost 46-43. Remember this? And Cincinnati was an elite defense last year and an elite defense this year. East Carolina has these random explosions. That was on November 2nd, by the way. This was the ECU Tulsa game was on October 3rd. If close enough for Aylers, close enough to November, you don't want to play ECU in November. Anyway, moving on. We'll be against each other there uh, in your backyard. Hopefully, Colin does not run onto the field and interrupts any – uh, it caused any shenanigans, some Mac-like shenanigans. you got wow. to be kidding me. Now, this is peak Maction. It is. Peak Maction. All right, uh, moving on to our second marquee game of the weekend. Let's go to the ACC. We'll go back to the ACC here. Talk a little Miami, number nine team in the country at 6-1. and one. Kind of been flying under the radar since that Clemson loss, you know, Kind of picking up some ugly wins. Kings played really well and had to kind of be heroic to get these wins. There go two Vatek. Vatek's been a tough team to figure out. Vatek's four and three, lost to Liberty last week. Vatek's a two and a half point favorite here. Over under 66 and a half. I took, look, I took some Vatek minus two. I just haven't liked what I've been seeing from Miami lately. I am counting on Khalil Herbert playing. That's huge. Uh, it's up in the air right now. He's been, from an EPA perspective, the only running back that's been more valuable this year in the country. Drum roll, Javante Williams at UNC. He's been amazing. He's averaging like eight and a half yards per carry, Herbert. It's, Kansas just kicked him to the curb, and now he's like the best back in the country, and then Puka opted out. To, so, so Kansas. So Vatek obviously has defensive issues. They've been dealing with personnel and COVID all year. A quarterback shuffle. Um, this is, I mean, this is a great spot to catch Vatek. The difference between Herbert and there and not is big, though. Uh, and then they got to move Blackshear from slot. He's playing a lot of slot to running back, as they had to do with Liberty last week. So I'm putting some faith that Herbert's going to be able to go. But I'm also kind of fading Miami. I mean, like, 
can we look at some of the – and I'm going to turn to you to tell me what's going on with Miami. But they, uh-huh. they need a comeback to beat NC State 44-41 with NC State's backup QB. They beat UVA then 19-14. I mean, it was ugly against Pitt too, and Pitt had its backup quarterback in there. So, I mean, they've – and their Pitt's backup quarterback's been awful. Yes, they've gone 3-0 and since the Clemson loss, but very questionable. And King has played out of his mind in a couple of these games – uh, it's particularly last week to get that win. They probably should have lost to NC State. What do, so this is kind of a fate of Miami as well. Um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, Miami is 97th and in, in, uh, graded in pass coverage by PFF and their 63rd defensive finishing drives. They just, they just I mean, that, that's a tough defense to trust. But for me, uh, Virginia Tech's just been one of the toughest teams to make a power rating on. There's just COVID all over the defense. We've got 30-something players sitting out. Uh, they've been terrible in tackling. They're still, you know, 84th graded uh, by PFF. And, and Khalil Herbert is the real deal. But the problem is he's had that hamstring issue. Uh, and we don't know just, you know, exactly how healthy he is. There's a lot of hamstring issues out there that everybody's wondering about. Now we got injuries on top of COVID. Oh, my God. Uh, every, you know, so, you know, it's just tough with Miami. Uh, tied in Brevin Jordan, who I thought was cleared last week, didn't play. Uh, don't know if he's going to be back this week. Uh, he's huge for De'Ara King, especially in third down situations, especially because offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley likes to run 12 personnel and about 33% of snaps. So you need two healthy tight ends. Uh, Virginia Tech loses to Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. And now they're a favorite to Miami. I think I've already heard this a bunch of times ever since Sunday. Oh, this is a spot. This is a spot. It's a dirty line because, you know, Virginia Tech loses to Liberty and now they're favored over a team that could make the ACC championship. Well, I got news for you. The Hokies could make the ACC championship too. It's kind of a cloudy, murky path, but they can still make it. You know, and you can see the Canes, you know, they, they opened up plus four. It's come down to plus two. So it is taking in Miami money. The, the number that odds makers has set has done what they wanted, which is to get money in on Miami. So I think the thing with Virginia Tech that bothers me is that Fuentes has said many times that to combat COVID on the defense that he hasn't had any of his players, he's willing to give up like eight yards a run. He's willing to pull people, as many people as he can, out of the box, give up the run and prevent the big pass. And it's just turned into this, you know, he wants to be a bend, don't break. Like, you could push me down to the 20, and then I'm going to try to stand up. Uh, and, and, you know, that hasn't worked either. They're 89th in uh, defensive finishing drives. You look at Liberty, they averaged five yards per rush, and they had 249 total y- rushing yards. Uh, they were able to torch uh, Virginia Tech on the ground. I, I don't see why, you know, Derek King can't do the same. I don't have a play on the side. I, I, I said this a couple podcasts ago, and I'm going to stick to it. I don't trust Virginia Tech's defense because I never know who's in and out. And I never know when they're just going to turn up the volume and be better because everybody's healthy, right? I, I mean, I this team can score points. Obviously, losing my under last week when it's just the most crazy circus act shit that was on SVP bad beats. <laughs> I, I felt like I was just deflated when that under – I didn't catch that under. I didn't know it was going to be featured. Uh, but, you know, the – as far as the total, here we go again. I, I'm not going to take it under here, right? The number is steamed to 67. I projected at 60, put out the pace report on Monday. This number has moved all the way up to 67, but it has all the elements for an over for the things that I just said. Miami's 21st in seconds per play, very fast, you know, from offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley. Both offenses have explosive advantages over the opposing defenses. I mean, in rush and in pass, both offenses outrank their opponent. Uh, so, you know, both teams are top 35 in offensive finishing drives. 
both defenses are 63rd and 89th and defensive finishing drives. There should be a ton of points here. I like the over. I mean, it's over the number that I got, but I like the over here. Uh, I would love it maybe if I played it live and a drive missed or two and I got the got it down closer to my projection at 60. The over is the only way to look here. Uh, I, I don't know how to play the side. Virginia Tech continues to be a mystery amongst COVID, injuries, hamstrings, pulling people out of the box. I'm going to put people back in the box. You know, I may not play a side on Virginia Tech the rest of the year. Yeah, keep your eye on Herbert's status. He's obviously huge um, for Vatek. But I, I did take some minus two flat earlier in the week. All right, moving on to our final marquee game of the day. Let's go back to the Big Ten, talk a little Wisconsin-Michigan. Wisconsin's a four-and-a-half-point favorite at Michigan, over under 53-and-a-half at BetMGM. Let's check in with our friend Bodo. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. I mean, Michigan has just been lost. Um, but then again, I don't know what you're going to get from Wisconsin here. I assume Graham Mertz is playing from people that I talk to. That's the word on the street. Is there going to be other people out? I, I don't know. I mean, a couple of these guys haven't practiced for three weeks. What, what are you going to get here? Wisconsin is a snail. Mertz looked incredible in his first start against Illinois. But Illinois has been like the worst pass defense in the country all year. So, I don't know. And I still don't trust Wisconsin's running backs. We said that all last year, their backup running backs. And we know they're a snail, but we know Michigan's defense struggles. I, so I was thinking about an under here, but this game is just so hard to get a read on. Is Michigan now getting value in the market, especially with all of the questions surrounding Wisconsin, what you're going to get here? And are you going to buy low on Bodog Jim? Thoughts here? Help me out here. I took Wisconsin at the very beginning of the week on the money line when it was priced around like minus 115. Uh, I knew the timeline for Graham Mertz. So for those of you that don't know, Graham Mertz uh, was cleared to practice uh, Tuesday or Wednesday this week, but he's eligible to play in a Big Ten game as of Friday. That would be his 21 days. So I knew the Graham Mertz would be practicing, and now the whole story out of camp, out of, out of, out of uh, Wisconsin is we don't know if he'll be up to speed. We don't know if he'll be syncing with the offense. We don't know if uh, – bullshit. Graham Mertz is worth six points to the spread. Easily, especially considering what you have at running back. If Graham Mertz can walk and he's cleared, he's playing. But the market went and jumped ahead of itself. This thing, you know, opened up, uh, you know, as Michigan as a, as a favorite. Once there was, you know, I say around Monday morning, this thing finally started taking off. And it started taking off with a whole bunch of Wisconsin money in the market because the expectation is that Mertz is going to play. That number out there right now, that's a number if Mertz plays. If Mertz doesn't play, it's going to come firing right back down. Now, my suggestion to everybody else with this whole, is Mertz going to play? Yes, I think he will. B, is he going to be up to speed? It doesn't matter. He's still better than everybody else. I don't think you want to bet Wisconsin minus four and a half and be stuck with Danny Vanderboom as your quarterback. I think that's the worst thing you could do. A legacy. He's a legacy walk-on. <laughs> was the fourth string like his he's only there because his like dad went to Wisconsin maybe played there but legacy preferred walk on like probably would be a backup for Western Illinois I think that's like the only other school who offered him I, yeah yeah can imagine holding a Wisconsin minus four and a half ticket with Danny Vanderboom a legacy player under center I retweeted so, I retweeted someone last week a Michigan fan that I found searching for info on Vanderboom and it, it was – he just tweeted, if Michigan loses to Danny Vanderboom, 
Uh, I'm jumping off the roof of my building. Bodog Jim should, I mean, he really should just hop in a car and head on out of the state of Michigan. You know, I mean, that, I mean, that, that, honestly, or maybe he should just go hang out in one of the Maction towns and wait for a job to open up. You know, probably Northern Illinois after that shit I saw last night. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> Listen, Stuck mentioned it. The running backs here is not good. Breakaway speed is an issue here. Nakia Watson, 1.95 yards after contact. Not good. Garrett Groshek, 3.15 yards after contact. Yeah, that's okay. It's better, but there's not a lot of rushing attempts here. They combined. They have combined against Illinois. Illinois' defense. They combined for only three avoided tackles. That's not good. Uh, if Mertz can dice up the Michigan secondary, uh, listen, he's gonna, Mertz is going to be fine. Mertz is going to play. And everybody except for the name Gamon Green and the Michigan secondary should be on alert because everybody in that secondary has been torched except for Green. Green has four PBUs, pass blocks, on 25 targeted throws. The rest of the defense for Michigan, remember this, Green has four PBUs. The rest of the defense, a combined three. The Michigan secondary is terrible outside of Green. So the story is all the same with Joe Milton on offense. Let's talk about Michigan's offense. The story is the same with Joe Milton. Accuracy issues when pressured. No pressure, he's 76% adjusted completion. What is adjusted completion? Completions plus drops divided by aimed passes. He's 76% with no pressure, 57% adjusted completion when there is pressure. A huge drop off. Is Wisconsin going to be able to get into the face of Joe Milton? I think the answer is no. They only had two quarterback hurries against an Illinois offensive line. Uh, you know, they got a couple, they got one, the center on there should be up for the NFL draft, but I, you know, I mean, it's still, he didn't play in that game though. He's coming back. That's right. Dan, Dan Kramer. Kramer. Right. And two quarterback hurries. So you expect Wisconsin to get pressure on Joe Milton here. So ultimately a play on Michigan. If Mertz is out, I don't think Mertz will be out, but you can't lay four and a half until you know Mertz is playing. Uh, and even if you do, the market's caught up. The market is telling you Mertz is going to play. It, it's at the number it should be. You know, if Mertz is in, we're looking at taking Michigan, 15 minutes before kickoff with, you know, with steam on Wisconsin. And that's the thing is when Mertz is made official, when he's on the field, another reason that I can't go down to Tulsa and drink beer and enjoy my life is because that's when warm-ups are going to be going on for Wisconsin and Michigan. Once Mertz is announced playing, I expect there to be steam to go even higher on this number, maybe a six. And I think in a six, it's, it's outrageously too high. Uh, and that's the time that you would want to back Michigan. So if you're going to back Michigan, you're going to wait till Mertz is official. If you want to back Wisconsin, you've missed the train. Yeah, I, as you were talking and as I've been thinking about I convinced myself to play some under, uh, under 54. Wah, wah, under recommendation on the podcast. You know, look, Wisconsin is a dead snail. Dead snail. As slow as it comes. Maybe Mertz play. If Mertz doesn't play, this under is lock it up. Um, if Mertz does play, maybe there's some rust here. Right, maybe it yeah. takes them a little bit to get going, and you know the Michigan offense with their accuracy issues doesn't really scare me that much. Also, could be some wins here. Some forecast ten, some fifteen. So we'll see where it is. So that could only help. So at fifty-four, a lot of external factors that could come in here and help. You know, if Mertz is out, if the wind is high, and look, Wisconsin. Offense is not going to be as good as they looked against Illinois. Michigan's defense has been bad, but not Illinois bad. And uh, I'm still not sold on the Wisconsin runners and receivers, so we'll see. And I, as, we're, as we're recording this and we're talking about this, I am going to hit under 27 first half. 
Uh, I, I agree with everything Stuck just said. And if Mertz does play, I think there's going to be rust. And, you know, when he says that they're a snail, uh, what he's talking about is that Wisconsin is 123rd in seconds per play. No breakaway speed at the running back position. Yeah, I'm going to go in and hit a first half under here while we're recording. Now, I got, I, the, the last time Wisconsin played, I played under 27 and a half in the first half, and it was the biggest moose of all time. Here we go again. I'll hit it with you. Oh, by the way, have you have the voicemails programmed into your phone for all the unders that aren't going to cash this weekend. Make sure you get them ready. All right, before we run through a couple other games uh, in the rundown throughout the rest of the conferences, here's a word from our sponsors at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. The NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. All right, let's let's start with the ACC. There is a game I wanted to touch on. I have Louisville as a pick, but who the, who the hell knows who's playing? They have COVID issues and uh, tough game to read. Maybe I'll look at that that game time. Florida State's catching 10 at NC State. Mess. I mean, Terry left the program. Is Travis playing? I don't know. The game that I did play is UNC. I laid 13 and a half. I can actually get 13 now, so it was a bad line that I took. I laid seven in the first half. I make this like 18. Did, call me crazy. I have UNC as the number 10 team in the country in my power ratings right now. Is that crazy? I don't know. Their offense has now just exploded. You know, the, the issues that they had earlier in the year, no longer. They put up 48 against NC State, 41 against Virginia, and then 56 last week against Duke. Their offense has figured it out. I, but this is mainly a fate of Wake Forest, who went undefeated. I know they're coming off of a bye. They went undefeated in October. They beat Campbell. Shout out, Roll Humps. My hump, my hump, my hump. Check it out. They beat Virginia with its backup quarterback. Brennan Armstrong didn't even play in that game. And then they beat Vatek. Remember box score frauds, how lucky they got in that game? And then they beat Syracuse. Like, I don't, I, I don't care about any of those wins. They got blown out by Clemson and they lost to NC State in September. Wake Forest, you want to talk about turnover luck and turnover regression. Holy moly. This isn't Wake Forest isn't some crazy havoc producing defense. I, I mean, come on. And and right now for the year, they're averaging a turnover margin of plus 2.33 per game. That's second in the nation. Only the and they played six games. Only Colorado is higher than that. They just because they played one game and were plus four in the turnover department. Extreme regression coming. I don't see how Wake Forest stops UNC once. I took minus seven first half and uh Laid anything under 14 for the game. Is Wake Force is going to push tempo against an extremely explosive North Carolina offense. Uh, so that's <laughs> – I think that's, that's dumb. Big... That's going to backfire. 
Yeah, and the other thing is, is you know, maybe Wake Forest can get some points there. Uh, I mean, North Carolina on defense is 110th in tackling, uh, and they're 100. They're outside the top 100 in line yards and stuff rate. So, I mean, I don't know if Wake Forest is essentially going to be. I mean, they do rush the ball to 60% clip, but are you going to be able to keep up with North Carolina's high octane scoring by rushing the ball all the time? Uh, so, yeah, I think definitely what you said is the look. Uh, all right, let's move on to the Big Ten. I'll cover a game I played. May, I, help me out here on this line. Rutgers at BetMGM. Illinois is a seven-point favorite. That's what I played. I got seven, thought, hey, this isn't going to last. Now you can get sevens out there. I, I make this like a two. I, I know Illinois stinks, but their defense stinks. They've been the worst pass defense in by a lot of metrics in college football. They got blown out by Illinois. Last week, you know, they lost. They got blown up by Wisconsin. They hung hung tight with Purdue. They're down to, like, their four-string quarterback, Corn Taylor. But they actually get some guys back this week. They get Kramer back, their best offensive lineman at center. They'll get their kicker back. They get their third-string quarterback, Isaiah Williams, so they could go to him or they could start him. Peters is still out. But the the biggest – they've actually been able to run the ball a little bit. The biggest problem with Illinois has been their defense. I mean, Lovey Smith's a dinosaur. He just sits in this 4-3 – cover two bad these teams spread them out and throw all over them that's not Rutgers look Rutgers is playing a little better Shiano has his program headed in the right direction the offense is still a raging dumpster fire they can't move the ball some of the worst I mean it's one of the worst offenses in the country still Illinois should get a defensive end back that'll help with their with their defensive line as well they had a couple guys that have been out for COVID so I'm not really afraid of this Rutgers offense shredding Illinois so I, I think Illinois can hang around here and uh this game will probably be I played some under, too. I, I think this game will be just an ugly, ugly game in Piscataway. Come down to just random turnovers. Both teams have been lucky in the turnover department. I took the seven. I think this line is crazy. You can't trust – this last year, Rutgers is like the, one of the worst teams in the country. All of a sudden, now they're laying seven at home to Illinois. This is crazy, right? I, I absolutely think so. I mean, I'm looking at it now, and it's, it's gross. Let's talk about Rutgers' offense. 104th in rushing success rate, 117th in passing success rate. I mean, they've had some explosive plays, but this, they're not sustaining drives whatsoever. Now, it, it does say from football outsiders, they're number one in power success rate. Illinois' defense is 110th of power success rate, but you're not going to win a football game just based on, you know, two, three-yard gains and uh, short yardage third downs. I think the more interesting thing in this is that they both are really fast. Illinois, 19 seconds per play. Rutgers, 28th in seconds per play. But they're finishing drives offense on both teams. Illinois 117th, that's almost dead last out of 122. And Rutgers is 70th. Uh, Listen, I'm not afraid to play Illinois either. Obviously, I did last week. I had no problem throwing them in a money line round robin parlay. I just, you know, they were missing half the goddamn team. So, you know, COVID strikes again. I I don't think that they're – I think those numbers should be closer to, say, a pick. Yeah, I make it two. So our Action Network projection, you know, I put this out there at Rutgers minus two and a half. I think the seven uh, out there is, is really assuming that, you, what, you're missing half the Illinois roster? Uh, yeah, I don't Rutgers know if there's is, COVID news I don't know about. That's always scary in 2020, but yeah, I, I think get, Illinois is supposed to get guys back. That's like, And I've confirmed that. Like Kramer's coming back. Their kicker, McCourt's yeah. coming back. Williams is coming back. Yeah, Dan Kramer plays center. I mean, if he's, if he's there, that, that's a huge boost to the offensive line. He's the captain. If they get some of their defensive line back, that's – that's big. Uh, you know, Rutgers should not be favored by seven over power five teams. So I'm going to do my research on COVID. And if you guys see a play come through on the app, the best betting app in the world, uh, then you know that I have found no COVID news. 
Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Let's move on to Conference USA. We have to talk about it because two of the podcast's favorite teams face each other. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting DMs. I'm getting people I mentioned saying, what do we do about this game? We're not talking about Middle Tennessee State, by the way. <laughs> At BetMGM right now, UTSA is a six-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 45-and-a-half. I, there's also COVID questions in this game. UTSA had a breakout. Uh, UTEP is, I mean, El Paso is like the, the COVID capital of the country right now. We're talking minor nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. So I, I don't, I mean, this game is very difficult to, to re, I mean, what, the, when's the last time UTEP, the last time UTEP played was October 24th. And the last time, UTSA played. I mean, these teams get canceled. Everybody keeps canceling against them, and, and Dana Demmel's like, well, shit, we'll load up the bus and we'll come to you. I mean, UTEP's dying to play a game. Yeah, th- I mean, this game could get canceled. Uh, so it's Meet Meet versus uh, our boys in El Paso. I hope it gets played for no other reason than we can hear from our friend in El Paso, one of my favorite uh, voicemail callers. Help us out here. Anything here? Yeah, I mean, I want this game to be played. I, ba- I badly want this game to be played, but UTSA is struggling with some COVID uh, to be more specific, they have two offensive linemen uh, that have tested positive, and so that's what's putting this game into question. Uh, the game literally may not be called until Friday afternoon. They're going to wait till the buses are firing up, getting ready to move the team uh, when they're going to call this game. So it could be a moot point. But for those of you Friday morning listeners, I make this game UTSA minus nine and a half. I think this number at seven or six and a half uh, should be a play on Meet Meep. And you say, well, Colin, you just told me that they're missing two offensive linemen and there could be other stuff. There's one name that I haven't heard that has COVID, and his name is Sincere McCormick. If he's suiting up for UTSA, by far and away, he is way better than anybody else that is stepping on this field. I would venture to say that this guy doesn't even need five offensive line in front of me because the way that he's able to juke himself out of tackles. UTEP is going to need all hands on deck. And Dana Demo, if you go and dig into some of the interviews he's given with the the El Paso Press uh, and his presser on Monday – he said flat out, all we focused on, I gave the team off on Tuesday, which was the weirdest damn thing I've ever seen. The team had off on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, yesterday, he said, all we've done is practice tackling. We know it's the worst part of our team, which they're 91st grading in PFF tackling. Uh, we know that that's all that we have to do to stop McCormick. We have to tackle, and I'm not sure we can get it done. Even Dana Dimmel, the head coach, and maybe he's trying to pep his team up. Right, you got to look into coach speak. Don't put too much into it, but he's acknowledging the fact that Sincere McCormick is going to run all over them. And if you look at his numbers, I mean, they're asinine. That's why we love Meet Meep, right? McCormick is 910 rushing yards on the season. 551 of those have come after contact. It's it's insane. You touch him and he's gone. Uh, he literally is a road runner. Uh, you know, everybody else is Wiley Coyote trying to get the damn fork and knife around him. UTSA runs a fast tempo, 20 seconds seconds per play. UTEP, complete opposite, snails. If UTSA gets a lead in this game, 
UTEP is not built to come back whatsoever. I mean, they were down 11 points to Stephen F. Austin and they came back, but I mean, that was Stephen F. Austin, not UTSA. Uh, I like UTSA. I'll swallow the points here. Uh, just McCormick. That's all you need to know. McCormick doesn't have COVID problems. He doesn't need his first string offensive line. Fair enough. Mountain West, some ugly, ugly games all week. I mean, the spreads are all double digits. The most interesting game maybe is San Diego State hosting Hawaii. San Diego State's an 11.5 point favorite at BetMGM over under 52.5. Any thoughts there? The, the number is a little bit too high at 11 in the market, but I think there's a couple of reasons why. San Diego State's identity is still rushing the ball. You know, even after, after Rocky Long left, uh, Brady Hoax there, they are still running the ball and doing it well. They're 35th in success rate and they're 27th in explosiveness. That's after their coordinator, Jeff Heklinski, came in and said, I want us to be vertical. I want us to be electric. That's an issue for a Hawaii team that's outside the top 100 in opponent rushing success rate and tackling. They can't tackle. They can't stop the rush. That's a bad combination against San Diego State, which is why we probably have an inflated line. Hawaii's been stout in the red zone, uh, but opponents so far have been Fresno in game one. If you know anything about Fresno, they were locked out of their own facilities because of COVID. Uh, they weren't prepared. Wyoming, New Mexico, this is who Hawaii has gotten to play so far, and that's why their red zone numbers kind of you know show that they're actually playing some defense. The go-go offense has been well-balanced so far between the rush and the pass, but the success has all come in the rushing game. The San Diego State defense has been fantastic. They're fifth in havoc. They're eighth in coverage. They're top 20 in success rate, both the pass and the rush. The number's inflated at 11, but I, I can't find a reason to take Hawaii. They're just – they're not getting it done. Uh, Siobhan Cordero, the, I don't think he's going to be able to run. I don't think he's going to escape the pocket and, and get any yards against San Diego State. And let's not forget, this game isn't a night. This game is being played in the mainland, and it's being played around 9 a.m. local time for Hawaii. I think all that's factored into the number, though. Uh, San Diego State is the side that I want to play. It'll be a game-time decision. That's one on the Pac-12. Still learning a lot about some of these teams – Oregon, one of them. I don't really take too much from that game against Stanford, who had their quarterback and top receiver ruled out right before that game. Washington State, the true freshman quarterback, did impress me. That was a good call by you. I lost on a lot of money on Oregon State. Oregon is a 10.5-point favorite at BetMGM, over under 57.5. On the Palouse, at Washington State in Pullman. Any thoughts there or elsewhere in the Pac-12 that you want to hit on? Uh, I was writing the Sunday morning piece with the projections for week 11, and it's not like I wasn't sweating that game out because the Washington State defense really looked cooked. I thought Oregon State was going to get them, but, uh, you know, they held on. Washington. I mean, it was, it was a good game. I'm glad pac 12s back, but, you know, I thought Oregon mm, – I thought they left some meat on the bone. I, the results were positive for Joe Moorhead and Tyler Show. We'll get it right. Uh, especially taking the top ranking and passing success rate just after a minimal sample size of one game. Oregon State had a ton of success running and passing against the Wazoo defense. Uh, that left the Cougs outside the top 100 in uh, categories like, you know, line yards, finishing drives, uh, tackling certainly in favor of the Ducks in this. They finished up with a grade of eighth in FBS versus the Cougars that were 80th. Uh, Oregon took a ton of losses on defense, especially in the secondary. That was our big preview. I think the reason that we kind of, you know, veered towards Stanford last week before we do about the COVID and the quarterback and, they were passed on uh, by backup quarterbacks Jack West and Tanner McKee. Uh, Stanford had three different receivers with a catch of at least 27 yards. So the Oregon secondary, still a little bit suspect. As for the side in this game, I think the number's right at 10. It's right where I project it. I can't see how in the world this stays under 58. Uh, considering what I saw from Nick Rolovich, game one, 
what I saw from Joe Moorhead, and I actually thought that they left uh, some play. I, I, I think that there's potential for Oregon to be even more explosive on offense. I don't see how this thing stays under 58. Uh, I, I think an over is what we should be looking for, and it'll come through on the app. Um, all right. Uh, last one before we go three and out. A revenge spot, Felipe Franks, maybe a flat spot for Florida after that big win. Chomp, chomp, Kyle Pitts. Don't know if he's going to go. Obviously, that'd be big. Uh, I'll step away, Colin. Uh, we have a uh, – pig suey, baby. Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Colin's talking Razorback football. Yeah, we'll pick silly, baby. I, I love my hogs here. And, uh, you know, the only team in the country that's played at least three games and has covered every single game, 6-0 and against the spread. Uh, and, Ooh. you know, Dan, <laughs> Dan Mullen really kind of came out. And he said in his presser on Monday that he mentioned that the hustle that is inside of Arkansas doesn't show up in the stat line. That's 100% correct. If you look in their stat line, there are some things that are just absolutely terrible outside the top 100 and things like tackling, sack rate, line yards, uh, it, it, rushing explosiveness. And things are – I mean, it's not a pretty picture for Arkansas when you look at the advanced stats, but yet they keep covering. Is Vegas just missing out or is Arkansas exceeding expectations week after week? I mean, it's a little bit of both. And so when you look at this, you think, well, I should play Arkansas because Felipe Franks, B, Sam Pittman, C, Kyle Pitts. Let's wipe A and B off the board. And let me be real clear about this. This is not a revenge game for Felipe Franks. If you happen to watch – some of that 2019 HBO special they put out where they featured four college football teams. Uh, God, Mike Leach was at Wazoo then. But uh, one of them was Dan Mullen and and the Florida program uh, for a game that they played against FCS. If you watch that special, Dan Mullen and his wife love Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks loves the Mullen family. There was no hard feelings about this transfer. There was nothing in between Franks and the Mullen family when it came to this move. Uh, as a matter of fact, Dan Mullen came out on Monday and mentioned that, you know, how much he cares about Felipe Frank. So the, there's none of this uh, angst or uh, what I said about Brian Kelly wanting to make sure Yurkovic has a really bad day for BC. That doesn't exist here. So we can wipe that narrative off the board. What we need to focus on, what this point spread is about, Kyle Pitts. Really, this entire game, this entire point spread, which I make 17 and a half, it's sitting at 17. It's all about Kyle Pitts. Every third down target, every red zone attempt, it all has to do with Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask. So, you know, Kyle Pitts, is, it's a monster loss if he can't go. He's still in concussion protocol. Uh, we don't know if he's going to get out of that. Kyle Trask's first look on any pass is Pitts, and, and it leaves really the Gators with no third down options. Arkansas is ranked sixth in defending pass explosiveness, and they're ninth in PFF coverage grading. Now, they're terrible at tackling. You say, how is it that they're ninth in coverage? Because they hustle. They hustle their ass off. And if Kadarius Tony is like really the only one you got a key on because Kyle Pitts isn't there, then that makes Arkansas's life pretty easy. So really for me, the game comes down to Pitts, you know, for the spread and with the red zone and third down target there, there's value in Arkansas at 17 and a half. There's value in Arkansas at 17. And you know what? Traylon Burks, we'll see if Florida, you know, they did good on shutting Georgia down on third downs, but this Felipe Franks to Traylon Burks, I mean, it's a pretty explosive. Uh, it's the only factor that Arkansas has going for him. But Traylon Burks is one of the best in the nation. He's close to seven yards after contact. I mean, that's the only thing that Florida has to stop. We'll see if they can do it. But like I said, focus on Kyle Pitts. Check 90 minutes for the game. See if concussion protocol is cleared. That'll help you make your decision on this one. Fair enough. Before we go three and out, 
I want to remind everyone of the Action Network podcast Tournament of Champions presented by BetMGM. It's live. It's been live all year. It's a free weekly Yahoo DFS tournament specifically for you, our podcast listeners, and you can join simply by clicking on the link in our episode description. Top 10 weekly finishers receive over $1,000 worth of Action Network prizes, and the top five finishers each week punch their ticket to the Wild Card Weekend Grand Finale, where they'll compete for the grand prize, a Las Vegas trip for two, valued at over five Gs, courtesy of BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. So again, you can join the tournament for free every week. You can join it one week and not the next, and then the next, or join it every week uh, of the NFL regular season. Just click on the link in our episode description. All right. Uh, oh, and by the way, leave reviews, five-star reviews. I didn't get time to go through them today. I'm going to do them every week to give away prizes. I'll go through them and give away prizes on Sunday's recap episode. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, we got to cover some Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. We have three college football games on Friday night. We have Florida Atlantic at Florida International. Florida Atlantic's a nine and a half point favorite over under 40 and a half at BetMGM. I'll tell you, I played that under already. I played under 42. Just like last week, what FAU we talked about. Um, we talked about Jim Levitt last week, that 3-4 defense. He has that deep playing so well. If you're a smart, really advanced, smart quarterback, you can beat it because it's kind of simple on the back end. If not, the way that he blitzes his linebackers. Stop. And you know who doesn't have a quarterback? FIU. And you know who also doesn't have a quarterback? FAU. Uh, this game <laughs> should be ugly. FIU might be a bottom 5-10 team in the country. They've, they're really bad. We also have East Carolina. It's November. Aylers. Aylers. Yep. Catching 27 and a half at BetMGM over under 56 and a half at Cincy. It's just been rolling. And we also have Iowa laying three and a half at Minnesota. Got off the schneid last week with that big win over Illinois. Uh, any thoughts, if you disagree with that FAU, or any thoughts on those other two games? Oh, I know. I mean, I, it was in the action app as quick as I could get it in the under in this game. I, it would have really helped. To, I shouldn't say that it helped, but <laughs> there was a hurricane, tropical storm, ET, you know, ETA passed through. So, uh, you know, that the wind here is still going to be high. There's still going to be 10 mile an hour winds. I'm not sure what kind of practice time went on between FAU and FIU, but like, like Stuck said, there's no quarterback options here. Florida Atlantic is moving uh, pretty much going to be moving on to a quarterback that has one passing attempt and one interception. Uh, they are going to be probably a 100% rush team. Yeah, so under, under, under here. Project 37. And that D is good. Levitt has that D rolling. The D is great. Uh, I have an I have a write-up out on Action Network. You can go and look and see how FAU is 105th in finishing drives. Uh, they're 100 outside the top 100 in success rate. And then you can go and see that FIU is also outside the top 100 in success rate for passing. Uh, defenses should reign supreme here. Uh, you know, slow paced, 81st and 67 seconds per play. Uh, just look at the under here. Uh, as far as Iowa goes, I did do the write up on that. Uh, you'll be able to get that over on action. And I'll just leave it and say, I think Iowa's going to be able to score their share of points. Uh, this Minnesota defense, there are specific areas where they are been putrid, horrible. Iowa, I, I think they're trying to put it together. Spencer Petras, their quarterback. Uh, the write up will be on action. I do think Iowa's going to score their fair share. Yeah. ECU. Right. I mean, really, is this, this is what I kind of debated all week. Is this a sleepy spot for Cincinnati? They play central Florida next week. Uh, I think in their brains, 
they make that a big game. The records say it's not, right? Central Florida with a couple losses already. Uh, but Cincinnati knows they got to put on a show next week. This one, East Carolina, prime time, but there's also a Big Ten game going on, so not really going to be a whole bunch of eyeballs. I'm not sure how serious they're taking East Carolina. Is Desmond Ritter and the explosive run going to be able to bust out like he has? Desmond Ritter in that offense is now sixth in rush explosiveness. East Carolina's 90th in defending opponent rush explosiveness. Uh, Holt Naylor's is going to do his thing. Is he going to be able to get away with it against Cincinnati? It's a large number. I would feel better with Ehlers at 28. Uh, 27 and a half gives me a little heartburn. Ehlers, number they put up, we talked about it earlier, put up four. They should almost beat Cincy. They threw like five yards, put up 40 points last year. Well, is that the game the lights went out? That was Maction type level shit, right? How beautiful is Maction? How <laughs> beautiful is Maction? Oh, man. Just when we thought we had peak Maction. Yeah, that was the game, I think, with the lights went out. Yeah, we're just going to shut the lights off with six minutes left and let everybody regroup here. I don't know how ECU's not in the MAC. Can we lobby to get East Carolina in the MAC? That'd be great. They would fit well. All right. Uh, yeah, make sure you check out the actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app, the only app that you should have uh, to track your bets and for betting content. I'd live on it. I couldn't imagine a Saturday or Sunday without it. Just the green to red transitions. Ooh. Nothing. Some better. gray. There's some gray when COVID catches up. You get some grays. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to second down here and talk about our favorite overdogs. It's called the overdog parlay. All right. Let's get the prices right music in here. We'll go through these quickly. All right. Our first one, you're going to tell me if the price is right or if we're biting. UCF, you just mentioned them 25 and a half now at BetMGM favorites at home against Temple. Price is right or back the overdog? Listen, I think Central Florida might have a little bit of overlook here too. I I have no love for Temple. I have no love for their head coach. And I think the price is right. It's something I projected 26. So 25, 25 and a half, kind of sitting in a dead zone. I just don't see how Temple is able to compete. That defense, 115th in tackling, forget it. I mean, I, I don't care what the bet splits are. I don't care if the number's in a dead zone. I'm not backing a Temple team that's 115th in tackling. You have to also take a look to see if Anthony Russo and uh, David Martin Robinson are back. They've been shorthanded the last two games. So the um, price is right on the Knights. There you Come have on it. down. Uh, oh, gosh. All right, the next one, what we have here is Marshall, minus 23 and a half, minus 115. They're basically minus 24 everywhere. Uh, at home against, I can't even say their name without vomiting, Middle Tennessee. Is the price right here? Didn't you get COVID by going to Murfreesboro? Isn't that the same time? Is that where you got it? Potentially, yeah. All right, so is the price right? Okay, so I say that the projected spread should be 17. This is a touchdown higher. So I would say that we would need to back Middle Tennessee, but there's other things going on here. Marshall is playing for style points. It's the 50th anniversary of something very large in their program. This is oh, a yeah, very right. special. It's a very special year for the program. It is foot down on the pedal, hammer down. I think the price is right. Ugh. I'm going to bid a dollar, and hopefully, I'm under everybody else, and everybody else busts, and hopefully, I get to come on down. I'm going to take Marshall here. All right, and the last one we have here, uh, we get some FC yes or no in the Price Is Right segment. We have Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. After that huge win, they are over Tech. Liberty is 7-0, and ranked 22nd. Did not see this coming. Hugh Freeze just signed an extension. They are 32.5-point favorites at home over Western Carolina, who has yet to play a game this year. Help us out. Is the price right? 
The Price is Right. Sagarin makes this game 46. 46? And wow. I'm staring at these numbers in the mid to low 30s? Yeah, sign me up. Liberty all day. All right. Thanks for playing some Price is Right. Before we get out of here, we have to, one last thing to do. And hopefully we can make it back-to-back weeks. And that's our favorite Moneyline Underdogs. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. All right. I had Notre Dame last week. I'm going this week with a smaller home dog, Purdue. I make Purdue a, a slight favorite here. And a little – their star D end, Carl Ofkins, he's questionable. Keep your eye on that. But Rondell Moore, little birdie from West Lafayette, told me he may – or may not. I will not confirm. But I'm just throwing this out there. That Rondo Moore was practicing, or may or may not have been practicing with the ones today. And he will be playing on a Saturday alongside David Bell. Maybe. Possibly. Potentially. Purdue. Boiler up. Where are you going, Colin? Great call. It's going to be definitely going to be in my portfolio come Saturday. I'm going to stick in the Big Ten. I'm going with the black shirts. I'm going to go with corn. I'm going to go with Nebraska. That sounds t- – I call and never takes Nebraska, so there must be a reason for it. Uh, this is a loser goes home. Loser falls to 0-3. I'm not, I'm not sure what Penn State has to play for. The numbers should be over a touchdown. It's not. It's three. It's hung there all week. It has taken ass loads of money. Every book you can look at is 80% Penn State money. Ticket count, money count, everything. This number is so short. Odds makers are dying for action. Is that the reason that you should back Nebraska? It's not the sole reason, but man, is it an indicator about what, what may happen here. If Nebraska plays a clean game, and I don't care if it comes from Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey, because I think Frost is done with Martinez, but we'll see. I think he's going to switch the quarterback so he gets a clean game. They play a clean game, they beat Penn State. And I don't think Penn State cares about how the rest of the season is going to play out. Frankly, the, the, the whole I don't give a shit segment in that we should start up here in a couple weeks – Oh, my God, who cares? I think that applies to Penn State right now. What are you playing for? I don't know. Oh, and uh, three now. They lost to Maryland and Illinois. Oh, a billion-point uh, favorite to Maryland lost that game. Penn State has absolutely nothing to play for. They're traveling to the Midwest. Uh, this number screams corn outright. Yeah, they'll be in my underdog money line. Probably here and my round robin. Check out our piece that will be out Friday night. We'll have a write-ups for both. I'll include the games I'm including for Round Robin's column. We'll have something for his Round Robin as well. And, yeah, I said it last week. Good thing I didn't play Maryland. But I said Penn State had national title aspirations. They're now 0-2, and they're playing Maryland home. There's a good chance. They're just – we were 0-2 now. There's nothing to play for. And, yep, they lost outright as 27-point favorites. Now they're 0-3. Now they're going on the road to Nebraska. What's the incentive now? Uh, so I, I completely agree with you there. I was probably I was you, I sent you the the script and uh, an hour before him to put and then you put yours in. I think I would have had Nebraska if you didn't, and you might have had Purdue. I, think, I, think <laughs> I would have taken I would have taken Purdue. I hundred percent guarantee when I film the round robin video, it's going to have both the teams in it. So yeah, we are fully invested in the Big Ten. All right, bring back Rondo. I hope, hopefully, maybe Rondo more plays this Saturday. All right, uh, that'll do it for us. Don't forget about the voicemail. Don't forget about the reviews. We'll hand out some uh, handouts on Sunday night and on a recap episode that'll be out Monday morning. Rate, review, subscribe, 
unsubscribe, subscribe. You know the drill. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Appreciate everyone listening. Let's get some winners this weekend and enjoy the college football that we have. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.